My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field, which a person finds and hides again, and out of joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. When he finds a pearl of great price, he goes and sells all that he has and buys it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net thrown into the sea which collects fish of every kind. When it is full, they haul it ashore and sit down to put what is good into buckets. What is bad, they throw away. Thus it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Do you understand all these things? They answered, yes. And he replied, then every scribe who has been instructed in the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings from his storeroom both the new and the old. The Gospel of the Lord. God said, ask something of me, and I will give it to you. Imagine that happening to you as it did to Solomon in that encounter described in today's first reading. That God himself comes to you and proposes that offer. What would be your response? It's hard for me being an Italian with ADD to consider that question. There's that impulse to wonder, what's the catch? Where are we going? We know the quote-unquote right answer if we listen to the rest of the passage and heard what Solomon responded with asking for an understanding heart so that he could effectively lead God's people that he had been entrusted with and God's happy reaction to his humble request. So why even play these hypotheticals? Or maybe you're so conditioned by fictional stories of of genies out of a lamp offering three wishes that your mind is trying to replay all the the different variations and trying to remember which one worked out the best. Or maybe there are just so many legitimate concerns and, and family problems that you're carrying with you that it's hard to reflect on anything other than them. But let's just try to imagine for ourselves and allow ourselves to have an honest reaction. God said, ask something of me and I will give it to you. What would you answer? It's a great question to kind of just sit with and reflect on in the honesty of our hearts because it it helps us to recognize where our focus is. What are some of the distractions? Or more importantly, what are the cares and worries, the hopes and dreams that we have? Like many of you, I've got 
members of my family on various prayer lists. Like many of you, I bought lotto tickets for the Powerball and Mega Millions, especially this past week when it went up to a billion dollars. I had all kinds of thoughts of what I would do if I had the winning numbers. Like many of you, there are things in this world, in our country, in our church, that I struggle with and have some strong opinions on. That I think if everything in our world, our country, and our church aligned with my view, they would be infinitely better. So all that being said, though, if our all-loving, all-powerful God were to make this most generous offer, I'm sure some or all of those things would be vying for my attention to bring before him. And for many, that's what motivates them to come here on Sunday for Mass, which in many ways is a really great place to begin our prayer. Because first and foremost, Jesus has taught and has shown and has proven that God is madly, deeply in love with us. And the truest, genuine, sincerest definition of the word love, being selfless and sacrificial, radically and entirely present for us. So whatever is going to open us to turning our gaze to him, and opening our minds and our hearts in true honesty is something that he will happily welcome. But the reality is that authentic prayer is meant to be a conversation where we not only bear our our hearts to God and and lay them open to to hearing and receiving from him, and then eventually our our prayer is meant to, to deepen our relationship with God so that we can learn to trust him and his plans for us to come to where we can agree with the psalmist who today we prayed along with as we sang those words, Lord, I love your commands. And we heard the psalmist say, the law of your mouth is to me more precious than thousands of gold or silver pieces. He's not just trying to appease God or come up with something good to say. Those were from his heart. Or where we can come to believe in our hearts what St. Paul said in today's second reading. We know all things work for good for those who love God. That's not just being Pollyannish. The reality in those sacred author's words didn't just come about one day when they just, just had this realization. Nor did they come for Solomon in that first reading as he was able to answer God the way that he did. I think we can kind of mistakenly forget that these were were fellow human beings who are far more relatable to us, especially when we remember how they got to that place of trust and surrendering God. And if we can remember that, that could be a comfort and a guide. One example of an individual that comes to mind is, is this woman who was born in New York City two years before our nation came into being with the Declaration of Independence. Her name was Elizabeth Ann Bailey. She was born into this prestigious family. Her father was the the chief health officer here in in the colonies. And many in her family had connections to the Church of England. So in the time of upheaval that the American Revolution was for most people, the Bailey family would be this, this small group that because of their governmental and religious connections could kind of navigate both sides of the conflict and be respected by both. 
But apart from the stability that that could bring in terms of securing social status and wealth, it didn't prevent bad things happening and tragedies like Elizabeth's mother dying from complications after giving birth to her sister Catherine when Elizabeth was only three years old or her father remarrying and then having five children with her stepmother. And then when the father and stepmother separated, the stepmother turned her back on her and Catherine. And then when the father returned to England for further medical studies, he left his two daughters to be raised by his brother and their uncle, William. And as awful as those circumstances were, Elizabeth was still fortunate compared to many of her contemporaries. She was academically gifted. She studied languages and arts and was fluent in French as well as a talented musician. So at the age of 19, she married this wealthy businessman named William Seaton. And she was part of the elite in New York, having the first Episcopal Bishop of New York presiding at their wedding and then moving to a home on Wall Street, which was as associated with wealth and power then as it is now. But long story short, in nine years, Elizabeth Ann Seton and her husband William had five children of their own and then ended up taking in William's six other siblings. So that was a crowded house. William had suffered from tuberculosis even before their marriage, but by 1803 had gotten so much worse that his doctor suggested that he should go to Italy for a warmer climate to, to help recuperate. So he, Elizabeth, and one of their daughters did. And within a month of their arrival, two days after Christmas in 1803, William died. So Elizabeth Ann Seton is now in this foreign land, a young widow with one daughter and four other children 4,000 miles away. It's not hard to consider the endless list of fears and worries and confusion and perhaps anger that she had to navigate, nor how those might have been articulated in her prayers if she found herself at the words that we're reflecting on today. God said, ask something of me and I will give it to you. We can imagine Elizabeth Ann Seton having some thoughts. As a Christian, she brought her broken heart and her tear-stained eyes before God in prayer. Which is why when you read what she wrote to her sister Catherine, it's even more moving. At the time, she was still in Italy after burying her husband, and she had been taken in by one of her husband's Italian business partners, a man by the name of Filippo Felici and his family. And she was so incredibly moved by the family's Catholic faith that she wrote, my sister dear, how happy would we be if we believed what these dear souls believe, that they possess God in the sacrament and that he remains in their churches and is carried to them when they are sick. When they carry the blessed sacrament under my window, while I face the full loneliness and sadness of my case, I cannot stop the tears at the thought. My God, how happy would I be 
even so far away from all so dear if I could find you in the church as they do. How many things I would say to you of the sorrows of my heart and the sins of my life. Did you catch that though? As she brought the total loneliness and sadness of her case, as she articulated her fears and her concerns and her confusions, she realized that the thing that would be able to satisfy them all was Jesus himself. Even though she already knew Jesus, she began to dig deeper, looking for greater closeness and intimacy with him, with Jesus himself. And not just in some kingdom to come at the end of time, but here and now. And so when she returned home to America, Elizabeth Ann Seton began to receive instruction on becoming Catholic. In the interim, she wrote how she still had to attend services in the Episcopalian Church, which only deepened her longing for the Eucharist, possessing God himself, to have Jesus' body and blood in the Eucharist for herself. And so she would sit in the Episcopal Church as close to the Catholic Church, saying, I found a side pew which turned my face toward the Catholic Church in the next street and found myself 20 times speaking to the Blessed Sacrament there. After becoming Catholic, Elizabeth Ann Seton's life and her service would be credited with founding the Catholic school system here in the United States as well as founding the first religious congregation in the U.S., the Sisters of Charity, with five other religious groups who still trace their origins to Sister Elizabeth Ann Seton's story. And what's even more remarkable about that is that the time from when she became Catholic to her death at the age of 46 was only 21 years. She did a lot in 21 years. God wants each and every one of us to become saints. Not in the exact way that St. Elizabeth Ann Seton did, but in a particularly unique, intimate way that takes each and every one of us as his beloved sons and daughters who are gifted and blessed in countless ways and all have the potential to utilize all those things that are going to glorify him. The challenge is for us to follow her example, though. Not to deny or pretend that we don't have difficult things in our lives, but to navigate all the things that weigh us down, that frighten and confuse and distract us, and to honestly to bring them to the God who wants to hear from us, who wants to converse with us and relate to us, who says, ask something of me and I will give it to you. Because as we honestly bear our hearts to him in our prayer and share all that's there, it's then that we become disarmed of our expectations and our plans and even some of our conceptions of God himself. It's then that we begin to meet and to know and to love and desire him. Then we become the people that Jesus speaks of in today's gospel who have found the treasure, have found the pearl of great price and found that there's nothing else we could want or need but him and him alone.